Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 131 of Midweek Metagame. I'm here MTG, joined by my two regular co-hosts, Patrick Robertson. Good evening, everybody. And Gabriel and Gabriel Nassif. Gabriel. <laughs> Smooth. Sorry to interrupt you there, Gab. Yes, I can't speak English. How you guys been though? Okay. I've been very busy, but I've been doing well. Gab only played a pro tour. Pat's only been working at one of the most prestigious universities in the UK. And I've been here basically doing nothing. So, well, 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 we do have some Magic the Gathering to talk about today. For those who didn't know, Gab played in the Nuka Penna Championship. So, obviously, we're going to be doing a tournament breakdown of that. I say we, I mean Pat and Gab. I don't d dive into whatever format you guys played. What was it? Standard, historic, uh, vintage? I don't even know. And then, at the end of the episode, we're obviously going to talk about modern while I actually join the conversation. <laughs> Hopefully, at least. And uh, before we get into that, as always, the podcast is brought to you by Card Market. For those who don't know what Card Market is, it's a marketplace online to buy anything Magic the Gathering related. It can be singles, accessories, deck boxes, playmats, sleeves, anything Magic the Gathering related. And not even just that, anything card game related. You got Flesh and Blood, you got Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Digimon. Go check them out. They basically have everything you need. You can even sell on there. So if you have a collection you don't want, go chuck it on Card Market and make some pennies. Or not pennies, make some good money. But um, yeah, thank you for Card Market for sponsoring the podcast. But also, thank you, JTW, this week, new Patreon, for also supporting the podcast. Yes, thank you, JTW. <laughs> JT, thanks a ton. Yeah, I don't know about you, Gab, but JTW is a regular view in my stream and always showing support, as well as other streamers that I know. Very well-known, at least in the Magic community that I know. So, uh, yeah, shout-out to him. And if you would like to support the podcast, then the best place to do so is at patreon.com slash midweekmetagame. No pressure to do so, but that's the best place to support us. But as always, um, we're here to talk about Magic, not about things in our lives. So, Gab, a new competitive championship, why don't you start us off with what you play and how to go? Yeah. I played Grixis Vamp Vampires in Standard, and Phoenix was for Ledger Shredder in Historic. And most of my teammates played the same decks. It wasn't everyone on the same deck, but most of us played Grixis and most of us played Phoenix. And I didn't do quite well enough. I went eight and seven. I made day two, but. I needed to go 9 and 6 to lock up a Pro Tour qualification, be automatically qualified for the first paper Pro Tour of next year. And that probably means I'll have to burn my one-a-year one Hall of Fame invite to qualify. I think that makes more sense because then I can snowball from that Pro Tour if I do well. But yeah, my teammates did well. I was happy. Mike Sigris made top six top eight or top six or top four anyways he qualified for worlds basically uh top six was what he needed reed duke also qualified for worlds kai and lsv fell a little short so not a not a bad weekend overall for the team jim davis was testing with us didn't even make day two but still qualified uh with the at large system the system so, works yeah so that was cool and um yeah, it was a cool tournament. Jan Moritz Merkel won. He's been just phenomenal the past few years. He actually used to test with us. Him and Logan Nettles decided to split and go test with a smaller group of online grinders, including Macklin Sauce. And it worked out. You know, they um they had a pretty cool uh actually kind of deck that was around for a while and it just seemed to work for them. Hinata based around Hinata and Magmas Opus and Standard. And um, Jan played also a red-black historic deck. Not going to go through all the decks, but it was um, you know kind of tough tournament. Top 8 was pretty diverse. Standard had six different color combinations, almost seven different archetypes in the top 8. Historic was kind of funny. The top 8 was two of each archetypes. It was two Phoenix deck, two Humans deck, Two Golgari food deck and two Ragdos Arcanist deck. And uh, yeah, the, the, the biggest winners of the weekend were um, 
more Celestia humans and historic and in standard. I think the kind of the blue red decks did well. Anything was iteration. Fable of the Mirror Breaker is kind of the best card in standard. It was, it was, it was, uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the, the testing, even though I wasn't like the most motivated ever. And I enjoyed the game plan historic, even though the, the format's a little stale. I enjoyed standard in general. I think it's pretty cool format and pretty diverse. I was really and, impressed watching standard. It was, it was nice to see a format that wasn't kind of dominated by Alrin's Epiphany and, you know, a Seeker's Chariot seemed kind of pretty reasonable, kind of all things considered. And I, yeah, like you said, a diverse format, but I was really impressed with that Grixis Vampires deck. It may not have had the best win percentage overall. I think I kind of looked at your internal stats or whatever, and you're kind of sitting in the kind of high 50s percent win rate. Is that, is that, is that right? We actually uh, had almost 61% win rates, but we also have a team of fairly strong players, even though that field was not super large and pretty strong overall, I think. Yeah, so a, a, a pretty good performance. You must have been like the, the best or second best performing deck on the weekend up behind like the Jeskai Storm deck from Tristan's uh, team of, team of uh, grinders. Yeah, that, that, deck, well, that, that deck did well. I think actually Is It Mel was the, the best performing deck out of the decks a few people played. If you don't look at sample size, it was the Yoshigoe, the Japanese player who made top four, who... Uh, was the sole Naya mid-range player. Most of the Naya decks are just Naya runes, and he just played Naya good cards and crushed uh, the tournament. Apparently, his story is that he didn't even know he qualified when he qualified. He was just kind of saw a tournament on Arena. He had only been playing for a few months, and he decided to join the tournament, not realizing maybe that he was a qualifier for a big tournament, and then qualified and did well. Now he's qualified for Worlds. So. Yeah, that's, a, that's a pretty good story. Yeah, I might be getting the details wrong, but I think that's what it is, and that's kind of an incredible story. Yeah, yeah, I can't even imagine just like, yeah, just signing up for something. Actually, no, no, I can. This actually reminds me of the first kind of major tournament I I played in in some you know roundabout way, which is where I turned up for a tournament that I told was told was on. It was just it was regionals, but I didn't know what quarter qualified for. Like when I when I won the entire tournament, they basically said, "So you're going to go to nationals?" I was like, "What's nationals?" And the rest is history. But yeah, that's that is a really really sick story. Just kind of you know randomly bumbling your way into the pro to a top four or whatnot, and you know I presume a world's qualification from that as well. Like top six qualify for worlds, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that was kind of the storyline of the turn. All the people trying to qualify for worlds, whether it was you know making top six or the at large points, the race, and there was also uh, a little drama, maybe more than a little drama, because there was some unfortunate situations that rose up and some people kind of got screwed and mm. it was it was not great also arena had a bunch of issues i actually had issues i got disconnected at a a crazy round where i won game one and then i was winning game two but got disconnected disconnected from the servers apparently it was just a bunch of french players who got disconnected disconnected at the same time macron yeah, sabotage. But so I get disconnected. I don't come back on time. The admins seeing that, you know, it's obviously not isolated. They say, I was expecting them to just give us game losses, but they say, no, you get to replay the game. So I replay the game. I win again. And I submit the results. And at that point, they're like, oh, after further inv investigation, the, the issue is not coming from our side. So you get a game loss and you have to keep playing. And at that point, my opponent, uh, Dom Harvey, just decided that, you know, I had won two games and the game that he had quote unquote won was tainted and he felt it felt wrong to him. So he just gave me the win. But I think I was the only player in that spot who who benefited from, you know, their opponent. You know, I didn't That's totally so... didn't expect it. I was, you know, I, I want to make sure he but... was okay with it. He actually ended up yeah. Um, one win two. short, right? Wasn't he one win short of uh, qualifying for, for something? I'm not sure, but I, he did qualify for the Pro Tour. He did go nine and six. Um, oh, he did. I, he did QI here. That, that, that's great. But so you, you I, might be right that he was maybe one win short from World. I did see something along these lines. I hope not. But anyways, that was you know kind of cl class act move, I guess. Even though it felt like it was a little too nice in some ways. But he yeah, is English. Was, 
That was weird. It was it was kind of kind of frustrating that they uh they said it was not coming from their side. In some sense, they are right. It's clearly you know our inter- our internet that's at fault, and uh, you know something happened anyways out of our control, obviously. But um, you know at the same time, we all know that Arena is not the greatest software, and that your connection to the servers can be pretty uh, flimsy. And that that would not happen in most other games, or that most other games would have some kind of disconnect protection, which Arena doesn't have. And I just, in a general sense, and I've always felt that way about the rules. Why give game losses, match losses, you know, punish players when there's clearly no intent, no intent of cheating, no place Mm. for abuse no ways the bug could be exploited or replicated it's clearly you know something went on was french internet was maybe one of the providers there's no way we did it intentionally there's no way we can replicate that to try and get a a, you know because the thing is if you if if you couldn't if they don't give game losses then you can just find a way to to mess with your internet and you're like oops disconnected we have to replay the game and that can't happen, obviously. But in this specific case, why not try and make the, you know, let the players play as a which which movie is that? Is that Coach Carter? Let let the kids play. Anyways, um, well, I think honestly, the this problem we've talked about on the podcast so many times, and it's a simple solution, and it's broken down in a few seconds. If you have a game log, you can rebuild the board state. If you have it so that someone disconnects, pause the game. Why is the game coded that if someone disconnects, they lose? It makes no sense. Make it, Hearthstone has it so that if you leave the game, it pauses. Hearthstone has a log. Why can't Magic do simple things like this? It's so dumb. It, what they're saying is, is that they lose less money by having these crappy uh, game mechanics of you guys losing than they do of people complaining about it. And that, that's ultimately the truth. It's To them, it's not worth their time. You, right? you can get back in after a disconnect, though, right? I, I mean, I've, I've had Arena kick me out, and you get back in, but you have to recognize it very fast. Th- that's the yeah. problem. I mean, why, why are we gambling with, am I going to get a loss or not? How hard is it, it to it, pause the clocks? The, the problem is it depends. Sometimes, it, I think it depends why and how you get disconnected. In this case, I could not get back fast. You know, there was... Like I realized something was going on. I Alt F four, I and I couldn't get back on Arena. There's something that locks you out for so, something was wrong. And I, I agree with you, Harry. But that's like not the point I was trying to make. I was just trying to make the point in general sense. Whether it's Arena paper, just if you, I feel like game losses and match losses should be there to punish spots or to make sure people don't try and cheat. You know, in spots where okay, they probably did not cheat, they probably did not mean it, but we can't be sure and we can't allow for a window to, for I, the players to try and explore I absolutely, it. I agree, I agree with that entirely, Gavin. And in fact, in the last kind of like, you know, five or so years of paper policy making, it seems that they've been making conscious decisions to move in that direction as well. I mean, probably even longer than five years. But if you think about kind of how the drawing extra cards rules used to work, it used to be that if you ever just drew another card by accident at any point in time, straight up game loss. And now it's you get thought seized, and yeah. you know, that's an immediate kind of fix that is means that it's it's really 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 difficult to exploit that kind of ruling because if you ever get caught, you just get thought seized every time, and then they just keep track of those kind of punishments. But it also just removes the feel bad of kind of oh, two of my cards stuck together. Yeah, but I literally have a friend who missed top eight of like old school worlds because he drew two cards. He had a card stuck to another card. Yeah, oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's in, it's incredible. Like that, that, and you know, two if it happened two years later, he just wins easily, <laughs> yeah. and they stop out of this top out of this tournament. Like they definitely have have. I mean, I've been friends with enough judges back in Australia to know that they spend a lot of time rewriting policy to make it ruling and intent a kind of something that you can you you can do in a lot of situations. And like like you were saying, for this this particular spot. It's not like you're one person coming out and saying, oh, yeah, your French internet died. Um, please let me get a do-over for this game. 
you know, if 30 people who are all in the exact same geographical regions that say, hey, look, we all we all dropped out at once. How is that a kind of you're not no one's coordinating that. Yeah, <laughs> that's that that big of a scam, you know, like that's yeah. the sort of thing that they really should just be going, you know, this is just something we can rebuild on the fly. There should be some flexibility in their policy making, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing is, though, I, I actually do agree with your point, Gab, about the game loss. But what you could easily do is, I mean, I'm pretty sure that players wouldn't mind rounds being a bit longer if they allowed extra time for disconnects. Let's be real. Everyone on Arena disconnects, and I'm sure you would appreciate the extra time if you disconnected, and I'm sure you wouldn't mind if others disconnected. And I think that there can be things in place, and you're right, what they're doing is, <laughs> like, g genuinely probably the worst solution where it's like this weird dance of like keeping track of the clocks because you got to reset the game and blah de blah de blah. I, I I really dislike everything they've done about it, and I've obviously commented on it a load. And uh, many changes need to be made, and it's not something I can sum up quickly. On the plus side, this may be one of the last arena pro tours. Well, they've got the arena championships going for yeah, that's true. There is still feel and stuff, but. This weekend was especially bad, and you you mentioned the time. It's funny when we when we had to replay, they didn't even mention anything about time. We didn't we hadn't kept track, but yeah, that was the big kind of the big incident of the weekend was Austin Bursevich against Jakub Toth, mm. who were both like playing for spots. I think they played on day one. They were both playing for for Worlds, you know, and they were kind of in the race, and they had an insane situation too, where something happened, and you know. Austin was aware that you didn't just get 30 minutes clock, you know, to play one or two games. You 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 took into account how much time you had used in the first game. And Jakub didn't realize that, even though he probably should have asked about it or known about it because he's been in, in the league. You know, I think he's a rivals player. And anyway, so what ended up happening is that Austin was in a spot where he just played to timeout Jakub in the third game and Jakub didn't realize time was an issue and he just played to play to win the game, you know, the, the normal way, quote unquote. And they both thought they had won because Austin thought he had timed out Jakub and Jakub just had won the game, you know. And what they ended up doing, since it was kind of their mistake for not communicating, communicating well with both players, is they both gave them a win. So <laughs> one of them two got three extra points and it kind of ended up mattering. Jakub was, you know, made it to Worlds, you know, by one match. And so that was like kind of a crazy situation. And, you know, at the time as day one, I'm guessing the admins did the best they could uh, after kind of messing up and hoping nothing would, would come out of it, you know, but it ended up being kind of... A huge deal, actually. So that was, it was definitely that was the story. Great. It was definitely the Twitter story of the weekend. Yeah, so much beef. But um, yeah, no, that that was also a nightmare reading through that. But I think this all boils down to being insanely unorganized. To be honest, um, this is this this type of thing only happens like every other GP, where two players are awarded a win because of a poor judge ruling, and that's over thousands of matches. You know. And I feel like something being managed over a Discord server would have more of a concrete, like, copy-and-paste sort of method of ruling this sort of disconnect, right? Yeah, I mean, people make mistakes. I feel like they do a good job overall of running these tournaments. Sometimes the rounds take a little longer, but I felt that, you know, I mean, human human errors happen, but overall, they do an, an okay job. Yeah, This weekend was maybe especially bad. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking about all of that sort of stuff on top of the the kind of fable, the mirror breaker bugs. Yeah, which was like what I think what it was is like if you if you try and click two cards and then just deselect one, then you only you discard zero. Is that is that right? I can't remember the exact outcome of that bug, but it was it was definitely like the most the most powerful card, and most popular card of the tournament. Essentially, it just had some kind of skip the second chapter mode, basically. Yeah, I wonder if these bugs just happen to certain people, if they're <laughs> yeah. internet or who knows, who knows what's an arena. It's, this yeah. kind of feels like the the, the, the the glorious old days of Magic Online. Like Magic Online <laughs> has none of these bugs anymore, really. And it's like... Mm, yes and no. 
in some ways, Arena, they do get the bugs fixed sometimes in a timely manner, whereas Magic Online has had some stuff that's been bugged that's, for initial years, you know? That's, that's very true. Arena, Arena does tend to, tend to patch up its mistakes, you know, within that kind of moderate, modest time frame, whereas Magic Online just lets, hangs it out of dry for years. Yeah. But it does feel like that kind of like there's some, some new thing cropping up every cup, every tournament that gets played, and you know, every, time, every time a new set comes out, you have to iron out a bunch of kinks and stuff like that, and it's... It does yeah. remind me a lot of kind of the transition between kind of like, you know, version two and a half and version three and the transition between version three and version four of Magic Online. Yeah. I don't like to forgive them anymore for this because I feel like the more the community forgives, the less they're going to care and also just keep uh, kind of providing, not providing solutions to problems. Uh, what Didn't you hear that we really like Wizards again because they announced the Pro Tours back? Right. Plus, we know they're not. I mean, there's almost nothing we can do that's gonna make them invest way more resources yeah. for and just the, the people who you complain to as well are not the bad guys. It's, it's, yeah, it's... yeah, that that makes a good point. I guess I'm just balancing out your two's very uh, forgiving nature of Watsy. Yeah, I, look, I, I, I've, I've kind of shifted, not shifted, but kind of come gradually to the viewpoint that people who work at Wizards are just. They're just big fans of the game, and they just oh. happen to be in the firing line for <laughs> for all criticism. And it's not very, it's not particularly fair. They're just a bunch of people doing what they're doing as best they can with what little they have. Yeah. And the, and Hasbro just making money hand over fist in the background, <laughs> la laughing all the way to the bank. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. So um, no worlds for you again this year, right, Gab? No, I had two in a row somehow, and not three in a row. But I had, I, I, I didn't, I didn't try my best this year, so I wasn't really deserving of making it back to worlds. Even though it would have been nice, obviously, to just pull up the miracle top six. It was um kind of the the other story about worlds and stuff, and not making it to worlds was. I want to talk about real quick. And I've talked about it on the stream, but it was PV kind of, you know, kind of ranting a bit, complaining that he didn't make it to Worlds, despite the fact he had a, a really good season and a much better season than a lot of the challengers. Because the way it worked is for MPL and Rivals, the five best players who didn't make top six, you know, who didn't qualify by making top six, got into Worlds. And for challengers, it was eight. So you ended up having, I think PV ended up with 81 points over the free set championships. Basically, the way it worked is you had these three big championships on Arena this year, and only that because of COVID. And if you accumulated enough match wins, you can make it to Worlds. And PV, I think, got like 81 match points, 81. So that's what, probably 27 wins or something. Anyways, and then the I think one of the challengers qualified was like 57 or 60, so like a third less. But obviously he framed it in a not very fair way. And I want to address it because I felt differently and his tweet got, you know, 2,000 likes, 200 retweets because people just love bashing on Wasi, you know. It's probably the same people liking and retweeting his tweet that were also complaining before that that there was too much at the top and too much for the MPL players, you know? And now when they try Absolutely. to... Singular try... circle Venn diagram. Yeah. So, you know, I understand PV, though. I want to say, I, I don't, you know, you know, I understand that he can feel bad. You know, he had, he really missed by very little. He feels like he had a really good season. It also, you know, feels bad because in some ways it's the end of an era and now he, he's not qualified for Worlds. And Basically, his message said like he felt like Watsi was trying to push away people like him from the game and they were being hostile to him. And, you know, I'm not in the exact same spot as PV, but pretty similar. You know, I was MPL. I was qualified for the last two worlds. I, um, you know, I think I even, oh no, last year I did poorly. Anyways, um, I don't feel like I've been pushed away. I think they're just, you know, trying to balance the system so that more players have a shot. I thought I liked the system at the beginning of the year, and I still feel that way. Um, you know, he was also talking about the Hall of Fame benefits, and I think Huey kind of addressed that. He didn't want to give too big of an edge to the Hall of Famers because these terms qualify for Worlds, and Worlds not like, you know, they don't want it to be too unfair. So I just, you know, wanted to just 
balance that out and I'm 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 with your your kind of analysis of PV's uh post on on every level except for the Hall of Fame one. I really don't understand quite why you're excluded from using your Hall of Fame invite for a pro tour if you even try and play a qualifier. I really would have thought it was much more sensible to say like you get one shot a year. Yeah, you, know, you can cash in one invite to a pro tour a year. So you just use it for the pro tours that you that you don't hit. You know, so you can put it encourages Hall of Famers to go out in the field and play RPDQ grinders and stuff like that, or just put, play play all the grinder events. And I, I would have thought of sensibly that's a good thing. And just it might be, yeah. Have your best players and most famous players kind of in the trenches for for all all steps of the season, but then you know cashing in their invite if they don't spike it. I, yeah. I would have thought that's a more equitable thing to do, and kind of at least in the spirit of kind of like let's let's get people playing magic again. That's a good point, but I guess at the end of the day, they decided either they didn't really factor that in, or they decided it was not worth the the edge who are getting. And... Yeah, look, it, look, it may very well be that they have some kind of a, a much more realistic idea in their mind of what the numbers of these RPDQs are going to look like, and how how many. Go qualify it. How many people? What percentage of the field they expect to qualify at any one given time? And they kind of just assume, you know, they, they've got to, they've they've done the maths in, in their for themselves, and they 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 realize that this is too big of an advantage to give. But it yeah. just felt on the surface as a kind of like surface level analysis. If you if you just if you just strip back all the kind of you know the the fine detail and just say, do you want your 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 games ambassadors playing in the in the in the tournaments that? You're at the aspirate, the people aspiring to be in their position are also playing. And the answer would, in my mind, definitively be yes. I, I felt like GPs lost so much of their luster when they removed the the kind of pro player club benefits from them because so, suddenly all these pros stopped going. And part of the appeal of a GP from the kind of like pro-am kind of perspective that, 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 I, that I came from was going there and getting to play against, you know, Tomoharo Saito and play against uh, Li Shitian and stuff like that at our local GPs in Australia and be like, you know, like, I, I'm like one of the best players in Australia, but how good am I against like these international people? And when they took that away, like it stopped this incentive of showing up, like, am I just going to go and play like a kind of 800 person event against a bunch of Australians again? Like, hmm. yeah, it, it lost a little bit of the luster. I always liked, you know, sitting down and, and beating Li Shitian. I'm like XO against Li Shitian last time, just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> I had to drop that yeah. one back in there. Yeah, no, it's possible, but I guess they decided it'd be too easy to to qualify for all three tournaments if we got to try our hardest in the PTQs or just try in the PTQs, and then when we didn't get there, cash it in. It, it was, you know, and I, I think that's fair. And... Just remind me, are you qualified for the regional, the regional players to a, or regional pro tours so... automatically? I think for next year, I might be qualified for all three because of being in the MPL league. But all, three, after, all three pro tours or all no, three regions? All three, re, all three regionals. Right, okay. But in, in, in the future, it's going to be, I get to pick one regional plus one pro tour in the same season, you know, and this, you know, one of the three, and I'm qualified for both, and that's it. And then the two others have to, to qualify the hard way. Uh, we can see Gab at the local game store. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Definitely see me trying on, on Magic Online and Arena, though. But yeah, I just want to you know bring my perspective and say that I felt like, you know, it, it, I, I thought the system was pretty good this year. Was it perfect? Maybe not. Should it have been instead of five and eight, should it have been maybe six and seven, or should it have been like slightly more intricate system where. You know, you need to get at least a minimum points. Uh, sure, you could have tweaked it a bit, but basically I feel like it's been way too top-heavy for too long. That's been the big problem with the MPL. And, you know, at some point you have to pull the plug and make some pretty drastic adjustment to compensate that, to give people on the out outside a chance to get in and make it worth their time and not just like, oh, if you do really well this, you know, and not just be like the one freak story a year of like a Chris Vartek or whoever, you know, I'm sure maybe there's another example or two in the past years, but you don't want it to be like just a, a miracle story. I don't think that's enough. And 
you know, I feel like there was a quote I liked that said, uh, you know, to the privilege, uh, equality can feel like oppression. And I feel like maybe that's, that's like what this, this, the spot maybe PV is in right now. He feels like oppressed and everything's so unfair when really we've just had it so good for so long. It just, so tough to break in and so easy to stay at the top when you're doing well so you're qualified so you have you're in testing teams you get to dedicate more time to magic because you have more reliable income and it's just so easy to snowball so easy to stay at the top and you know other people they have jobs they can't afford to spend as much time they have to take shots this that and they don't have the networks or it's it's like just and it's the same in every, I'm sure in every sport, esports, every almost way of life, you know? Yeah, it's absolutely, I mean, it's absolutely, it's not even in just every, almost every profession, really. I mean, I think about, this is, you know, maybe tangential, but I think about the position that I'm in doing doing research and I'm, I, I have every resource at my disposal. And I think about the positions that I did my PhD under, and I can't even imagine trying to do what I do right now with without with 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 kind of like basically you know on a shoestring budget essentially whereas now it's have every resource i can ever want and it's so easy to just can and that's going to beget more success and kind of lead to more opportunities in the future mm-hmm. whereas someone in a kind of you know if i just kept working where i did my phd i'd never never be able to kind of grow something yeah so yeah i guess that for my part anyways covers uh i, I think that's a, a very reasonable and, and balanced perspective yeah, I I actually really like that that point you make about equality and how how it probably feels to be pulled down to the rest of the grinders down in the trenches over here. But um, Pat, are you going to be grinding for the pro tour? Definitely going to be playing local, the like the local kind of RP, like regional regional players to a qualifiers that are kind of within reasonable driving distance every now and then. I think so. I'll play kind of things in the south south or southwest of England. I'll go and play. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mean, I've got a modern deck, and I've got I've made enough connections in Oxford now that I can probably rustle together a pioneer deck or whatever for for a qualifier weekend if I wanted to. Nice. Um, I have you know thinking about trying to get over to some of these uh, European like la- the larger monthly events as well, but not not anything in the immediate future. I think I was just going to see how they play out and what they look like before I make any commitments for those. Yeah, I think I'm going to be going to Copenhagen because it's actually been rescheduled to August, mid-August, from the 19th to the 21st, I believe. Don't quote me on that. So I'll be there. That'll be pretty cool. I also think that there's one in Italy, I believe, coming up pretty soon. July, maybe? June or July? Um, I really, on some level, I really like what the, the European tournament organizers have chosen to do in kind of having... I presume these are going to be like two-day events with like a large number of qualifier slots available. So yeah. maybe maybe make top eight or something. You get or there's eight invites, or maybe top sixteen or something has invites. On, on top of the kind of like you know prize payout that they would otherwise give, it's a kind of nice idea of having that kind of ro- rotate around and see if you can build some kind of like you know something something equivalent to the kind of like SCG or the NRG um, uh, circuit in the US. Yeah, I hope these terms feel good, feel nice, are well run, just, you know, so that I feel like it's going to be a big part of, you know. Yeah, they need to feel like something, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. And the same goes for the regional, the regional tours, the regional, regional pro tours as well, I think. I think I'm going to try and qualify for the pro tour. I don't know how hard. I'm very hesitant to buy a Pioneer deck right now because I feel like it's too far away. I'd rather buy the deck like two or three weeks before the tournament you should if you if you're very serious about qualifying for a tournament you should not be looking to like buy some deck and master it i think you should be playing a magic online and when you realize what you want to play a week out from the tournament you should call up every contact that you ever know and say hey can i borrow cards yeah <laughs> yeah Ser- that I'm, I'm serious it's, it's if without if you don't have the finances to be able to just buy everything that you need on the spot at short notice you really need to be leveraging that you and i spoke about this like several times over the years like off offline or whatever like borrowing cards is a very very important part of playing like magic tournaments from the pdq trenches essentially 
the, the funny thing is I don't have that many magic friends. You say that, but you have a relatively popular YouTube channel and stream <laughs> and a podcast which has several thousand people listening to it every week. I'm sure that if you put the shout out there, someone would come to you. Oh my gosh. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Oh, Cloud, Harry, you've been farming it for so long and you don't want to cash it in. <laughs> I'm yeah, this is when I cash in. Guys, I need to borrow a vintage deck. Anyone listening, I have a huge vintage <laughs> tournament coming up. I promise I'll return you're, the you're, cards. You're laughing you're laughing about this, but I was literally I was literally at kind of like a, a Grand Prix one day in Australia and there was a vintage side event on and I was just like, Man, I'd really love to play that. And someone I'd never really spoken to before was like, Hey Pat, do you want to borrow my vintage deck? And I was like, sure. And it's just like beta power. And they're just like, here you go, here's stacks. Or like, oh you go work, full workshop decks, go play it. And I was like, okay, thanks. And I would like, be I just so didn't... scared. I would not, I don't think, I, what if I lose the deck? I just... <laughs> and what happens if what? someone steals the deck from me? Yeah, what if I get my brother to steal the deck from me? Then do I have to pay it back? I, I, might, I mean, am I, am I going to like just throw kind of the entire, your entire, like, I mean, that kind of beta power deck, maybe, maybe it's worth it throwing, throwing everything you, you you've built in the bin. But this, you know, when when I was in that spot, I was just kind of like, this is just normal stuff that happens. Oh my gosh, no, I would, I would never. I maybe, I maybe consider loaning a deck, but who knows? We're not there at the moment, so that doesn't matter. No, that's right. Well, if you need to borrow cards from me, you can always borrow cards from me. There you go. Sweet. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think that. I think that the competitive scene is looking up because I'm definitely motivated to play stuff. And I also think, I think I've said this before, but I guess my last point, the GPs and the PTs, I feel like it's way more manageable in Europe now that there's only a couple every now and then. Whereas I felt like in the past, constantly, like every two, three weeks, I uh, I have some mates that go GPs and they're like, yeah, we're going here, we're going there, we're going there. I'm like, I can't keep up with that. So I'm very motivated now to play. Yeah, there's more local opportunities, probably more opportunities online, mm-hmm. more robust system. We we might be getting our, you know, the more robust system they probably started a few years ago. Looks like it's happening. We'll see how it all plays out. Yeah. Um, so I guess with the championship done, does that mean we're going into some modern? Yeah, why not? Okay. I guess I'll talk about what I have played this week. Um this whole week, I well, I say this whole week. This past few days, I've really focused on Ledger Shredder when I've been playing Modern. Um, I've only played three leagues, two leagues with Blue Red Merc tied with Shredder, and then I also tried to brew some, like, clickbaity through the Breach deck with uh, Ledger Shredder. I'll start with that. It flopped. Let's be real. Ledger Shredder plus any deck doesn't make it good. I put it into Blue Red Breach. What a surprise. I lost really badly to living end my living end opponent game one game two double grief living end gg and then um i just lost to like aspiring spike made a blue black death shadow deck that's it and it crushed me i felt like i just lost the thoughtsies anyways leisure shredder doesn't make every deck good what a surprise um, but can I, ask, can I ask about your your yep. blue red deck, your blue red Merktide list? Like, so what are you what are you cutting for Ledger Shredder in these decks? What did I cut for? I cut Cryptic Command. I cut three Cryptic Command. I cut... sorry, sorry. I mean, I mean, in, in blue red Merktide, like uh, there's no Cryptic Commands in blue red Merktide. So one of the one of the things I guess I kind of maybe I maybe I was preempting your point, and I'm sorry about that. But one of the things I kind of that seems to be the long debate about uh, Ledger Shredder and Merktide is how many and in what slots do they go over? So if you want to play the full four Ledger Shredder, it has to come at the expense of something else. Does it come at the expense of Merktide regions, Death oh. Dragon Rage's channel and Ragavans? Do you start shaping stuff like Archmage's Charm? Where do you find the space for, for, for the extra creatures in that deck? And I was wondering what you tried and you know what you, what you thought was uh, the best way to go about doing it. Right, so the Blue Red Breach deck, it's just bad. Let's ignore that. But I definitely have played with Blue Red Merktide, and I went with... Um, Doom Switches list. Generally speaking, any sort of blue deck of Doom Switches played played a, a list. I will copy it. It had four Ragavan, four Chandler, four Shredder, three Merktide, two Archmage's Charm, two Spell Pierce, four Counterspell, four Iteration, three Bolt, four Unholy Heat. So the cut is in Bolt, Merktide region. I think I was playing 18 lands as well. Um... 
but yeah, he kind of just trimmed on things that made a lot of sense to me. I feel like Bolt is going down in value in the format because you're playing against other Merktide regions. Ledger Shredder can't be bolted. Um, there's things like Dryad and whatnot. Obviously, Bolt is still good, but I feel like there's a lot of X4s right now or things just really big. And then I like cutting down a Merktide region. And something that I actually realized from Blue Red Breach is that you can kind of cut down on your top-end late-game stuff because Shredder just rips through your deck. Um, as well as when you're full of cantrips. You're just drawing so many cards. And I'm sure, Gab, you experienced that in blue-red decks in uh, Historic as well. Shredder makes you shred through your deck. So I think it was Yendrick who sp specifically tweeted out saying he wonders how long it'll take from Murktide to almost become not played in in blue red murktide because ledger shredder is so powerful in comparison to what murktide does um in these decks now uh, it almost feels it almost felt like um what is it kind of like an arc light phoenix deck you know i play my, my shredder and then i'm just looking to ca cast 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 and i i really like that sort of game plan yeah i saw that tweet and i don't want to sound like I don't know, pretentious or whatever, but the tweet says, I think that by the end of this year, Ledger Shredder will be played in more copies than Merktide Regent in modern blue-red. And I was like, isn't that already the case? You know? <laughs> True. I, I don't know how much we talked about it last week, but I, I played Free Leagues with blue-red Merktide last week with Shredder. And I, I think I started with two or three Shredders and went up to four. And I think I went 14-1 over Free Leagues. And I thought Shredder was just so, so good. And yeah. Um, maybe it was just Merktide being good and Shredder <laughs> didn't have that much to do with it. So I was curious if you guys had played with Shredder some more and if we knew a bit more. But um... okay. So um, I've played three leagues now as well with varying numbers of Shredders. I've, uh, I've, I've never gone as high as four. I, I've, I've played three and two and I'm less kind of enamored with that with it than the general kind of public seems to be. So that's probably a failing on my part. I, I, I don't, I don't think I, I am miraculously know something that, that you all don't, but I do think that cutting cards like Ragavan and Dragon Rage's channeler is not the way, not the way to go. I mean, ostensibly your, the deck is still trying to cast a threat and protect it. And legislator does cost twice as much as those cards. And I think that, Mana efficiency is just at a premium at all points in time. If you want to get under a deck like Living End and stay ahead, you can't be playing a threat that you can't even cast on turn two on the draw. I think that's a really that's a that's a real big no no in my mind. But I do appreciate the power of the card. Some some things that I've kind of that I've observed are if you play with Legislator in your deck, you want to have ways to draw cards. You you need something to kind of keep. The, the 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 number of resources in your hand high so you can have those double spell turns but also so that you can have excess spells to pitch to grow merc ledger shredder i mean pitching land is fine it's it's a completely reasonable thing to do but to turn it into a threat that you can ride to victory as a kind of um you know protect the queen kind of style style strategy that this merc deck seem you know does kind of fall into every now and then. It's it's important to have access to some number of cards like Archmage's Charm. So you can't really go cutting too much of that stuff. So I think that two is the bare minimum, and I would probably stick with the the the, the full three to begin with. One thing I'm I really do like I really do like Legislator, and I think it's at its best in post board games. I think that when your opponent brings in graveyard hate like relic of progenitus and stuff like that to try and fight your dragon rages channels and merc ties uh legislator makes that look pretty embarrassing uh i think in particular it's incredible against endurance endurance is a card that you know has been it's not amazing against merc tide like it's not unbeatable by any means like but you have to play very cognizantly cognizant of it and legislator almost makes it kind of like laughable in a lot of respects like you just make it a 2-4 and they no longer put pressure on you and who cares if they reshuffle your graveyard like those are just like more spells back in your deck like deck thickening you know like they're kind of the old joke um so i'm really impressed with it in post board games and that that alone may be worth finding space for you know at least three copies i i think 
at the moment, I have like minus one Murktide, minus one Dragon Rage's Channeler, and minus the Brazen Borrower. Uh, no, no, sorry, minus one is one Archmage's Channeler. I have three in my deck. I, I don't want to cut the Brazen Borrower yet because it's uh, a, important to have an answer to Murktide Regents and uh, Legislators online at the moment, just because of the popularity of the deck. But I can imagine moving away from that in a kind of larger field event or something like that. To quickly interrupt you there, yes. you mentioned you like the Brazen Borrower. Um, do you play any Ottawara in the land base? Yeah, I have one Ottawara in my 19 lands. Uh, I have one one Fiery Islet, one Ottawara. Um, okay. I don't like the Brazen Borrower. I think the card's kind of crap, but it's very, very important to have a copy of something that can bounce a Motad Regent in the blue-red mirrors and also bounce a larger Ledger Shredder. Not the legislator is like unholy hateable. It's like you can you can you can hit it with unholy heat in most reasonable games. But well, I'm um I'm I do like really not a fan of borrower and I always look for reasons to cut that card from my deck, but I was I was pretty happy with it. It's nice that it's two spells too, I meaning it's yeah easier to double spell multiple turns in a row. Yeah. I'm I'm exactly in in that same spot. Like I, every time I look at it in my list, I'm kind of like, hmm, maybe this can go. And then I realize that like, you know, I've got a massive blind spot. And it, every time I draw it, it's never that bad. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm firmly convinced that having, having a copy of it is very reasonable thing to be doing. One, one thing that I, I wanted to, you know, just flag is kind of an area that doesn't seem to be explored a huge amount with, uh, with Shredder is the directs, is a synergy of Snapcaster Mage and Ledger Shredder. That's like a really good way of getting double spells out of a single card. So you go obviously the Snapcaster and then the flashback spell lets you play two spells in one turn really easily and essentially provides that card advantage you need and in 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 my mind the most important thing it does is it gets over that tension that i don't know if we've just was discussed last week on the cast but the tension between uh ledger shredder and playing counter magic you know it's if, if you play murktide regent and then pass with counter spell up that's awesome because you just protect your murktide regent but if you play ledger shredder and then you just have counter spell or spell pierce as your as your spell you don't get the trigger ledger shredder Whereas if you have copies of Snapcaster Mage in your deck, then at least your counter, counter magic is like two spells. And I think that that's a synergy that hasn't really been explored yet in these builds that I'm seeing people uh, post online or their various different versions. But where do you find space for all these cards in your deck? I, I, I don't really know. Yeah. So that, I also my, question, I guess, though, is the mana. Yeah. How do you find the mana for this? I think 19 is enough to play some number of Snapcaster Mages. I, I, I agree with you that it makes sense, but I think the Archmage's Charm right now is in the position that you're talking about Snapcaster Mage. It, it probably is, but I, at the same time, I I, I, I think I, I just believe that Archmage's Charm is a better card, and so I haven't found space for Snapcaster yet. But I think it's it's a aspect of, le uh, of legislative deck building that I don't think has been explored, is what I, the point I'm trying to make. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I'd never actually got to Ledger Shredder and Snapcaster Mage today in my blue red breach deck. So I You I, lost I you lost way too quickly. Yeah, but I honestly feel like with Ledger Shredder, in my experience, I felt like it triggers really more from my opponent, and once my opponent triggers it, I can then trigger it again because of the filtering. And I guess kind of to to say how you have only been playing three copies, I've found that I'm very happy to have multiple shredders, whereas Murktide Region, um, typically two copies, it it does work well together. Two Murktide Regions, obviously, because you exile and then exile it pumps, but you have to have a massive graveyard, whereas two shredders just work together nicely. I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with that point. They obviously that they synergize with one another but i i i've i feel it's difficult to sit there and discard lands in a lot of respects for me because i mm. i want to get that my threat going i guess like the natural answer is that you are you supposed to play shredders over bunt like you're supposed to play four shredders and then some number of merc tides or are you supposed to start with you know shred merc tides and kind of trim one until you to fit a couple of shredders in and I think at the moment I'm still on the kind of Murktide side of the fence, but it, they, that just could could just be an experience on my part. I, I can see an argument for both. I, I can't, I'm, you know, with only two leagues as well, with actually casting Shredder, I can easily be biased because I've liked how it blocks and holds back boards. And like there was a game where I played against someone who cast three Endurances against me and they couldn't, 
I couldn't attack because they have reach, so they triple blocked the Shredder, but they couldn't really attack because then I kill a Shredder. Uh, sorry, kill, kill an Endurance. It's so an my, amazing two-way playing card. Yeah. It, it plays offense and defense so well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely with you on that. Like, Dragon Rage's channel and Ragavan don't do that. They do, they do not block well. Mm-hmm. Whereas Shredder just plays... It's perfect for switching roles, but it yeah. doesn't provide the same kind of like hard-hitting clock for low mana that... Um, it's just hard to find space for all these guys. Maybe we should play Yorion. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, maybe we should just play Yorion. What, Yorion Merktide? So, like, Ragavans, Shredders, Dragon Rages, Channelers, Merktide, Snapcaster Mages, Counterspells, Archmages, Charms. Apparently, like, you're not even shit. supposed to play Yorion and Omnath anymore. I saw, I think it was Alan, Alan Uru who's been championing for 60 card and Kahira. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Seems right. so insane to me but i don't want to you know i'm i'm definitely first. yeah but yeah no i think shredders be good i think you just trim on regions i was i started with a list that i got from young dingo he was not playing chandler so he basically just got chandlers for shredders and i played the league and did well but i felt like it was wrong so i added some chandlers i think maybe in my second league i was playing Three rag events, two Chandlers, but I, I still felt like maybe you wanted a few more. You know, you you play Chandler and Ragavan because they're just so good, and you would play more creatures if there was another really really busted creature you could play. But there's not, and now there is. You know, now there's Shredder. So yeah, it could just be that we're supposed to just go up to kind of like almost sixteen threats, like fifteen, sixteen threats. Yeah. I think yeah, Harry was describing this kind of deck that had fifteen threats. I think uh, yeah. that that Joel was playing. Yeah, you could you could play either the, the twelve cheap drops and like two free Merktide, or maybe you're gonna realize that twelve cheap drops is maybe you're just playing too many creatures and people are gonna adapt and maybe you know fit, I don't even know fiddle push or whatnot becomes popular and I've definitely you, seen uh, like Grixis Grixis Death Shadow decks kind of crop back up again as people try to you know do the I mean, something I've been saying saying a lot over the last couple of weeks is that, like, uh, you know, the Drake yes, no face meme was like, you know, let Legislator and Counter Spells Drake no face, Legislator and Discard Spells Drake yes face. Because <laughs> it's obviously natural, the natural synergy of just curving you know, Shredder into Discard Spell and then having yeah. Shredder to loot away Discard Spells in the later game as well. And like the obvious shell for a deck like that, for, for, for synergies like that is. Uh, like Grixis Death Shadow shell, whether it has Death Shadow in it or not, is kind of up in the yeah. air, really. Yeah, I know you brought up blue black. I just feel like the red card are so much better. You know, the red. I just, I just got the. the I just got a, ma- a massive thing for uh, Kaido Shizuki at the moment. I just think that card's awesome. It's one of my favorite planes walkers of all time. That's because you don't play on Arena. He has some weird ass lines on Arena. Mm. Oh, does he say things on Arena? He goes like. I know something you don't know. He has like all right. I'm off of him. Eh? Creepy, cringy lines on arena. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm off. I'm off of it. <laughs> Sorry, I killed it for you. Just absolutely. I've definitely been throwing. I've been throwing tickets in the bin, playing pioneer, like blue black and pioneer with like Kaitos and legislators and stuff like that. But I absolutely, that. I'm pouring tickets in an absolutely like bottomless pit. Hey, it's so bad. I want the new world's reward to be a custom planeswalker where you get to voice it over on arena. Oh, that'd be, that'd just be, <laughs> I don't did, know. Did you guys take a look at the, ch- I didn't follow the challenges at all this weekend in modern, you know, was there anything new, anything that did well, did Mercury yeah. dominate, did living in dominate Do you? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I think, I don't think we've specifically mentioned on the podcast, but I've seen a lot of em- Elementals talk lately on Twitter, and I don't really yeah. take modern Twitter as, like, true representation because they're hyping it up, but both modern challenges, first place, we've got Elementals from Batatunia and Demonic Tutors, both common common names in, in Magical lines, so clearly they know something that I don't. Um, we also got a couple Amulet Titan on the Saturday challenge in the top eight, which is also really interesting. Punt then wine, a very good Amit Titan pilot. So, you know, I, I feel like the modern metagame is cha- is actually, well, I don't know if it's changing or it's changed since I've last played modern because I've only really been focusing on the format for the past week. But something that I've noticed is that a lot of people have been experimenting and playing with the card, um, 
uh, what's it called? The instant that draws two and then discards a card. Oh, tainted uh, something. Ta tainted yeah, indulgence. Yeah. I've been seeing that a lot lately. I don't see. I don't see any in the top eight here, but that 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 to me is something new in the format that I've been seeing a lot. I guess maybe that's because specifically Aspiring Spike has been bringing around it, and that's what causes yeah. people to play with it a magical line. Yeah, sorry, but, I thought I was playing a, bunch, uh, playing a bunch of it kind of on stream this week. Yeah, but the only other comment I would make, I would say on the uh, modern format, is we see Four Color Living In in both top eight Saturday and Sunday, and I've been playing its Living In a ton. And that deck just crushes me every time um, with both grief and force of negation making my life so difficult. And it made me question if I should even be playing Tide in Life of the Line today. It's kind of insane to me that, like, it, it's it's still re it's really, really good against Tide if you don't have the right hate cards. And, like, Tide should be the deck that's best positioned to kind of destroy combo decks. Yeah, there's only one Tide deck in both topics combined they were playing yeah. for for shredder they actually cut the the ragavan the i, I, know, I they, cannot get behind this <laughs> yeah i don't know if they were inspired by spike spike had that theory that you want if you cut ragavan then you have all flyers but i was like who cares ragavan's just too good who cares about blocking and constructed this isn't limited yeah but yeah. um I, this, I think the the kind of the big winner on this weekend i think is four color decks in general and elementals you know as harry pointed out was a winner of both both saturday and sunday challenges it also finished in third place on um on saturday but then there's like regular four color as well uh in second place uh, and then like fourth and another one in the top eight of the sunday challenge as well so just a big kind of you know four color yorion weekend yeah what about so so what, what, if we just circle back a little bit to the living end uh, discussion? A card that's been seeing a lot of play in, in my in a lot of people's sideboards actually, uh, from anywhere from standard all the way through to modern is uh, unlicensed hearse. Uh, that card clears the graveyard out real fast. I'm yet to attack with it, but it's very 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 good uh, graveyard <laughs> hit. Yeah, that card's been how's your speculation going? I know you bought up a bunch at a very high price. Yeah. Um, it, it's good. It's good. It can be awkward. It can just sit there and not do much or not do enough. Or you draw the second copy and second copy is pretty bad. So I don't think you want to go too, too nuts, even though Jan Merkel actually had four main deck in his historic Arcanist deck, I believe. Uh, but it's so good against the top the top two decks. Yeah, it is really good. Actually, it, it, I, I brought mine in when I was playing Phoenix against Food, partly to fight their hers, but also for, for Cat Oven. So... Yeah. No, it's it's. Yeah. I think it's a legitimately powerful magic card, and it it does a good job. Of like you know, if you one of the problems with like relic and stuff like that against living end is like they can easily get ahead of it, so that you have to pop it if they go for, if they go for combo, and they can just go twice, or like you can pop it and they can rebuild their graveyard with the with the living end on the stack. Whereas hearse at least lets you catch up against the kind of graveyard that's starting to yeah. grow out of control. You know, munching two cards a turn like it adds up real fast. Yeah, I've been, been really impressed with that. Does my experience playing hearse against so uh, living in a lot of living in players just scooping pretty fast to the hearse? Yeah, I, I imagine it just leads to an uptick in cards like uh, Besaju and uh, was it Foundation Breaker as well, seeing more more copies of those finding their ways into people's sideboards. But yeah, it's pretty good graveyard hate to have at this point in time, and the the fact that it doubles as a big threat in in games. One of the problems with like graveyard hate is like if you want to go nuts on graveyard hate, you sometimes have this draw that just doesn't do anything. And they can like you know rebuild you know answer the hate or rebuild through it or yeah. or kind of get you nickel and dime you out with stinkweed imps or whatever to to kind of you know, put it in the context of playing as dredge, and at least at least hearse closes the game real fast if you draw any two power creature, you kind of send in your ten ten. Yeah, I actually, to do I it though. yeah, I actually haven't been attacking with the hearse that much. Just I'm way too scared. I'm I'm always like, oh, they'll probably just put two things. I really want to kill. Them. I really want to eat yeah. in the graveyard. Yeah. Oh, I, one one other. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Say 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 your thing, and I'll, I'll go next. No, I was just going through down to top sixteen, scrolling through the list, seeing if me was like variants that there's a ton of Merc tides between nine and sixteen, and not a lot in top eight. And it was like two copies on one day. I think one copy on another day. But I saw Yendrek. He came in eleventh, and I think we need an intervention. The man's playing two Jays of Mind Sculpture main deck in blue red Merc tide. 
this is, I mean, I played with one because Young Dingo had one in his 4-0 prelim list. So that's what I started with. And I felt like it's already like by far the sketchiest card in the deck and probably just worse than than an Archmage Charm or whatnot. And the Endrex just out there jamming two Jace in his uh, <laughs> in his Merktide deck. And I just don't think that's reasonable. We, yeah, the Endrex, if you're listening, you know, if you need to talk to someone, we, we, can, we can help. I'm... <laughs> Absolutely. I think Yendrix is allergic to the idea that his creature has to attack each turn if able. So there's no no dragon who's just channeling here. I'm um I'm very I'm still really impressed with Jace out of the board of, of Blue Red Merktide. I think it, it, it plays a very important role. And I've been again another another getting all the way back around to our favorite bird advisor. Um one of the things it does very well in post board games is defend Jace. Sits there, it's very hard for them to kind of attack attack through your shredder and maybe like you know a ragavan that's not that's that's not doing anything or not able to get in. Like it's protecting your planeswalk is actually a uh, pretty big value. Where it's been, it was kind of hard in the past to legitimately defend Jace uh, from from like a board that had been established. Whereas now shredder does a really good job with that. Yeah. People do get more disputes after sideboards. It seems like expensive clunky cards should be a little worse. You just like it, you bring in the mayor for Murkad and against Titan to go with your other hate and against control. I, I just bring it in against like anything that's gonna slow the game down or anything where I'm boarding in a lot of removal spells. Yeah. Like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna go up on kind of like one for one answers, just having that card at the top end is great. I think. And it's also like it's like fine against rhinos because you just can just bounce a rhino and it kind of raises a threat. Um yeah. I bring it in, in in a fair few matchups and spots where I'd, you probably wouldn't think you just by default meant to bring it in on paper. All right, fair. I still have one co- only one copy of Jason my sideboard, and I think two in the main deck is kind of insane. I just yeah, um, it's the si- it's the sign of a person who's got a problem, a very serious problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Did you did you guys play any Pioneer? Like I said, I've been throwing tickets in the bin with blue blast. Yeah, not yeah. not not much pioneer, but I have been playing a lot of university, and I I think I'd like it if we'd wrap up. Oh, right. Harry's bedtime. Yeah, well, I've been up since six. Okay, let me let me rant for a second. Up at six a.m. Presentation at ten. Came home, streamed for three hours, edited two YouTube videos, uploaded one. Got here for the podcast. Jeez, you're supposed to take a nap at some point. Harry, I did not nap. Do you now want, let do you the want baby sleep. <laughs> do you want? Do you want to know when my day started today? I do, Yeah, your day started at two. It, your day started last week, didn't it? With vomit on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I went to sleep at one o'clock in the morning because I was preparing for a tutorial that I had to give at nine o'clock this morning. I woke up at five thirty a.m. Because that's when Teddy decided it was time to get up. I gave my tutorial; it lasted ninety minutes. Then I went and sat in two more meetings, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, he gave a presentation at two p.m. and I am absolutely burnt out. And I'm completely with you. Let's end the let's end the let's end the awesome. podcast. Life on the line. For those who don't know what life on the line is, it's a theoretical tournament tomorrow. If you win the event, you live. If you lose, you die. So I'm gonna, sleeping. <laughs> yeah, in modern this week, I'm going to be going living in because I'm tired. Games got to go quick. What about you guys? I'm playing Merktide again. Boom, boom. <laughs> Shredders. Yeah, that, 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 that's, that's what's up. Finally, Gavin, I can agree on something. Let's play Merktide with a bunch of Shredders in it. That's what I'm playing. Awesome. We got to do the price is right this week. Mm-hmm. We can't do Ledger Shredder because I actually talked about its price in one of my most recent YouTube videos. Uh, you researcher. Yeah, yeah. So why don't we do the price of... What do you guys think? Um, let's see. What about Mishra? Uh, uh, no, no, no. Let's let's do Merktide Regent. See if it's come down. Uh, I don't even remember what the price was last time. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it was either. But like, I'm gonna uh, let's see if it has a reverse trend to Legislator. Let's do let's do Fable of the Mirror Breaker. That's a nice one, actually. I really like that idea. I don't even. Oh, is that the Red Saga? Yeah. yeah. That's okay. It's, so it's fun. Is it a mythic? It's a regular no, it's rare. A regular I think. Rare. Oh, easy. I got price. <laughs> regular rare is it from the latest set or two sets ago? it's from sure. kamigawa because it's kiki jiki yeah. no spoilers in chat please um right i'm good i'm good i'm thinking still all right i got it okay price in three 
two, one, four. Seven fifty. Okay. What did you go? Seven fifty. I went twelve. And Harry four. Four. Oh, oh you fish! I think <laughs> the average thirty-day price is five euros and twenty euro cents on card market. So I'm so cheap. It's Start in every format. People were even. I saw this in modern was the, the glimpse deck playing four fable to get a bunch of permanence. Well, I got the dub. I'm back to my old ways of just way overshooting yeah, it. Over by like yeah, two and a half times. Yeah. <laughs> I started just guessing super low now. Every time I'm like uh, 12, 14, 15, and it's like two cents. So just I'm just low balling now. Classic, classic clueless paper players. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're all clueless. Yeah, I know yeah. it's like seven tickets or something. Yeah, definitely. Oh, only. Oh. But um, okay. So, Gab, where can we find you on the internet? Yellow hats on Twitch. Just come in and watch me on Twitch. Ask me questions on Twitch. Hang out on Twitch. Oh damn. Okay. <laughs> find me on YouTube grinding. I'm uploading a YouTube video every single day. I've been going five days in a row. I've got a YouTube video already uploaded for tomorrow. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do the day after, but I'll obviously I'll be editing that a new one tomorrow. Yeah, YouTube is where at Harry MTG. Go check it out. All the clickbait. Don't complain to me if you get clickbaited because you 100% will if you check it out. What about you, Pat? Um, yeah, you can find me on the internet. It gets smart. I have nothing else to say. Okay, sweet. So if you made it this far into the episode, as always, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you making this far. So as thank you to anyone who's taken the time to leave a review, positive or negative, on the podcast. We take constructive criticism and appreciate your support. But um, yeah, I guess we'll catch you guys next week. Peace. Thank you so much for listening, everyone.